that's probably why I would always like say I hated contests and didn't care because <laughs> and when you lose you're like it's not such a letdown or whatever I don't know or don't perform yeah I don't know something like that Welcome back to another episode of The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and I just need to state it plainly up front and center that we definitely have some audio issues in this episode. For instance, right now, I'm actually recording on an iPhone because I'm traveling and my microphone is elsewhere. And for the rest of the pod, you're going to hear me in a noisy office, actually the stab office, recording my side of The Drop with Buck. And then Buck is going to interview Dane Reynolds, where we think he's maybe in like a nature preserve or a chicken coop or something. We're not entirely sure, but you'll hear it soon enough. But regardless, this week we have some great stuff coming up. Um, Buck and I are going to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Then, as I said before, he's going to get on the phone with Dane Reynolds to discuss Former's new film, System Is Yours. It's going to be a great episode. Let's jump straight into it. All right. Hello. Hello, Mikey. Hello, Drop listeners. If that's still what we call it. Hello. I think it is. Step podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got a few different names going on at the moment. We'll figure that out eventually. But uh, yeah, Buckley, um, how the hell are you doing? How's Europe? It's wonderful over here. It's wonderful. Um, we've got plenty of birds around. I think we're all, the whole continent is inspired by Paul Evans's piece. Um, I think Dane Reynolds was inspired by it too. He'll be, he'll be on the podcast later in a conversation I had with him, and you could tell he was very inspired by the birding conversation because he's um, clearly amongst them. Um, so, yeah, everything's great over here. Sunshine and birds. Awesome. Well, I am. Uh, I'm actually over in California right now visiting the Stab office. Uh, one to welcome and to teach. Our new writer, Coral McDuffie, who I think you saw her Katie piece last week, did really well. She actually had the highest converting piece of the week on Stab, so well done to Coral. And yeah. Straight into it. Right at the top. Good name, too. So I also got to surf with uh, Ian Crane this morning to discuss his new film that's going to be coming out in a couple weeks, Crane Brain. And you and I both had a sneak peek. It's pretty freaking fantastic we're going to actually have it on stab premium before it goes to the general public much like we're doing with the former film this week so yeah a lot of good things coming and going plenty of good stuff with that crane thing i said it to you but i think i think he's in the conversation for the best free surfer in the world right now without a doubt and uh dane's still got it too speaking of these premium peaks he's still got it and in our interview he said that he puts like he's obviously got his chapter 11 thing going and the this system is yours, which is the video that's on our site now. The former thing, he said, that's where he just put his best surfing. Like, California, Chapter 11 is a different thing, and this is best surfing. So, he's still got it. He's still got the fastball. Yeah, what did you think of that film? I loved it. What was your favorite part? The Costa Rica section with... Well, you'll hear in the conversation. Everybody will. But the Craig thing, like, I feel like there's been a build into the into seeing him in these slabs like you it's it's not new but i do feel like if you've been watching all of his parts like you know the one he dropped with kai recently and all that like you're seeing this build and how just gnarly he's getting out there but i do feel like you've seen him there before so it doesn't have that like shock and awe of the original time that you saw him out there whereas the dane 
droid Kaito trip in Costa Rica just I something about that just hit me. It just you'll hear in the interview there was a there was a time where I was there and we ran over a chicken and it was a hungover and they uh they had some good meltdowns there too and just something about that spoke to me and it was just great seeing Dane surfing so well again. Great seeing Droid, great seeing Kaito fresh off a stab high appearance and it was good. It made me happy. Dane really does have something weird going on with birds. Okay, so he's obviously got, he's surrounded by birds in the interview. He's running over chickens in Costa Rica. In Stab Highway, California, he's throwing eggs at our cars. Okay. <laughs> I don't know the connection yet, but there's, there's something, something there, there. But it was it was me that I ran over the chicken. It wasn't Dane. Oh, you ran over the chicken. <laughs> Wait, how did this, how does this, how does it, what does this have you'll to do hear, with their, You'll hear with it, you'll hear it a bit, you'll hear it a bit, let's get in the news. <laughs> Why G-Land CT comeback is 10 years late. Okay, this is fascinating, because G-Land has, I want to start by saying I've never been into like surf history, like growing up, I don't know if you were the same way, but never really cared about what happened in the past, I just cared about like what was happening at that moment, what it could look like in the future. So you didn't subscribe to Surfer? I did not. I definitely <laughs> did not. And my dad didn't either. Thanks, Dad. Love you. But G-Land has a lot of crazy history. I don't think I would have known it because growing up it was like this stuff was happening, but or maybe it was just behind like my our generation growing up. But there is some weird, crazy history there. And basically you had... 95, 96, 97. The last one we saw there, 97, there were 14 tens in one day. Okay. What? You know this? No. There were 14 tens in one day the last time we saw a comp at G-Land. Luke Egan won, and it was this crazy, crazy thing. Like, in 95, when they first brought it there, they credit that idea to being like the birth of the dream tour. Like before it was just like, where can we run contests and where can we run contests was like wherever we can get money to have sponsorship because people want it to be in front of a lot of people and have that contact with people on the beach saying like, Hey, I sponsor this event. Now, you know, my brand, this was the first, this is like a seed that got planted to say, let's just go to the best waves and see if we can build something around that. So that was the 95 one. 97, you get 14 10s. And so there's crazy history there. And it's coming back finally. And Paul Evans does a great job of explaining how it came to be, how it almost came back, specifically how it almost came back 10 years ago. And this is an incredible read because it just got so much mystique. And Mikey, I got to be honest with you, I'm hearing rumors that it might be one and done. Like, we might not see G-Land next year, too. Wow, so they're going to have to do 15 10s this time to just bolster that history, and then 20 years from now we can talk about it again. 15 10s, and then Steph's got to win so that she can uh, win the title and beat Land. You just got to do the one-up. Yeah, and oh, man, that means Kelly has to win, too, because he's not going to have another chance. He's not going to be on tour at 70, is he? He might. <laughs> he might. We'll get into that when we get to the ayahuasca part. <laughs> All right, so G-Land, yes, I, I read this story. It's not even up on the site yet, but I read it because I have that sort of uh, access here in this stab world. So it was actually Stephen Bell, who 
I feel like there some of these characters that are like part of the surfing world that everybody sort of knows that they're there, but nobody really knows like what exactly they do. Uh, we know that Steven's been like Kelly's, you know, in his corner in some capacity. He's worked at Quicksilver. He has something to do with Euroglass. But yeah, can you just give some more context around that? I think that the way he's describing the piece is, well, he started Euroglass, but he was at Quicksilver for a while. He was really good friends with the the CEO, old CEO, Pierre Agnes, who passed away. Just crazy, crazy story that. But fishing one morning, he just as he was the CEO of the company, just went out and didn't come back. But he was tight with Pierre, and he'd been working at Quickie forever. And Paul uses a word here, or a term, where he calls him the Kelly Whisperer. And that's what he was for a while at Quicksilver. Like, he... It wasn't quite a coach situation, I don't think. Like, Kelly's so knowledgeable. It wasn't like this era where everybody has a coach and all that. It was like, he just kind of was part handler kind of probably a little bit of coaching. Like I'm sure Kelly would want to like bounce ideas off him and stuff, but he was like at that time kind of booking the, his main job was to book, I think houses and organize everything for the Quicksilver team. Literally, literally managing the team. I guess that word now means like, I'm going to say who I want on the team. And then there's a team manager that actually helps figure out, works closely with everybody on the team and gets them from point A to point B and make sure they have food and all that. I think he was a bit of that. But he did he did just forge this like really special relationship with Kelly at that time. And yeah, he's he's incredible. Well, you could almost like charge a brand anything for that, right? If like you are the one little source that like gives Kelly, you know, part of his confidence and power, like that's invaluable. You can put any price tag on that. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that those were like as the story goes into, I think like I mean when I was at Quicksilver he was obviously thought of very highly. But I think at that time, too, when he did have this really special connection with Kelly, who was, I mean, what what do you need to know about Kelly when he's winning all these titles? I think he was really had a lot of respect. And so Paul focuses on this story on a trip to G-Land that Quicksilver did that was Belly's idea, like a do a shoot there because you're going to get empty waves. It's going to be really good. It's going to be awesome. And it was supposed to be this spark that would light the fire for having a G-Land comp there, bringing it back after like Quicksilver had that history of doing it from 95 to 97. And I mean, it's, it's hard to say you could always kind of attach a narrative to something in hindsight, but the story goes that Nike came into surf at that time. And all of a sudden it kind of made everybody else, every other surfer and reevaluate how they, spent everything i guess and so what could have been a return to g-land 10 years ago ended up being a contest in new york city which sounds um terrible like sounds like the worst idea ever right but somehow it like worked out i well i mean we're from that area remember when remember when that got announced i remember just thinking like oh my god like this is insane <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what you just did right it was like you just got back from J bay what are you doing like i just served an esa there you don't want to do that <laughs> and then they literally got it pretty much as good as it gets for like most of the waiting period oh my god it's insane it's insane and then obviously you have that bobby incident too like just the stars really line there other than the fact that a hurricane hit the place and wiped out the whole music side and whole like us open thing they wanted to recreate over there but 
it's a crazy story, and it does a good job at giving you the history of G Land and giving you the just this wild backstory and how how major brands have to think and how they events can kind of come and go and no matter how special they are to people, like I said, ten or fourteen tens in one day, how do you cancel that? I don't know. They did actually. I do know it was political unrest in Indonesia in 1998 that got that canceled, but then in 1999, it just didn't come back. Um, so it's a wild story, and I mentioned it before. I'm already hearing whispers. I can say, because I was at Quicksilver at the time, that there was a two-year deal signed for GLAN, and that was in 2019. It was meant to be for 2020, 2021. Uh, there was this thing called a pandemic that said no to that, and so as far as I know, this deal still stands. So it's a two-year thing. So, you know, do it for two years and try to reevaluate. But what I'm hearing is that, I mean, G-Land is just in the middle of nowhere. And there's not much there in terms of places to stay. Like surfing's at a level now where people travel with entourages. And I've heard that G-Land, everybody can only just get a plus one. So people who are used to traveling with their filmers, their partners, their coach, their this, their that, nah, none of that. You get to bring one person. And so I heard there's some pushback from the surfers about it, especially now that these are the surfers that made the mid-year cut. And I'm hearing some whispers about Fiji coming back in the cards or maybe a gentle push from the WSL to be like, hey, well, like Fiji's a barreling left too. Well, you want to go there? You know what would be pretty baller is if, because now they have that like fast boat that goes from Bali. You can leave Bali in the morning and be in G Land a few hours later. And what if, like, you know, it'd probably be like a Gabby or maybe a Kelly, somebody that's, you know, just a bit of a showman and they obviously have plenty of money to spend. But what if they just like stayed in Bali and like partied and hung out the entire time and then just the days when the event was on, they just took a little boat over, surfed their heats, and then headed back? I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that. I mean, if you have that money, why not, right? If you feel like you're going to be that much more comfortable or say what, the comp comes on, it's going to be a few days straight, just sleep there, and then there's going to be a few lay days, jet back to Bali. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a bit of that. But, yeah, it's it's wild. G-Line just has a weird mystique. Like, I, I'm really excited to see how it pans out this year. Especially... I have a gut feeling that they're just gonna get crazy waves because G-Land's got that weird, you know, that three year little stretch where it was obviously successful. There was a tsunami there in 1994 where a bunch of surfers were there. Um, O'Neill recently revisited that when they were talking about uh, Rob Bain. They were talking to his son, who's an artist now that was, they, they went back to G-Land. I talked to Bosco, an old photographer who was there for that. He was just describing this scene of like his room getting flooded and him trying to save all his camera gear. And so it's kind of got this weird, like scary, mystical presence in the surf scene. And there's like tigers. Have you heard the stories of the tigers? Yeah, yeah. And it used to be a full on like drug camp when people first found the waves. Like you know how Indo has that crazy surf industry drug trade history. It's there's so much there. And I think it's going to be, yeah, how do you not get great waves? Gut feeling. It's going to be incredible. And then who knows what's going to happen? I'm going against the grain. I think it's going to be shit house, but interesting nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Too early, you think? Yeah. Well, yeah. Long-term forecast is looking bleak. G-Land. See you soon. The best surfing I've seen, Blake Kuwaini. Cooney. Kuwaini. Blake. Blake, I love you. Um, your name's hard to pronounce. This is a new video series from Stab, and the the title of it doesn't really leave much up for speculation. It We talked to the world's best surf filmers and asked them, hey, what's the best surfing you've seen? You've been standing on the beach for a really long time. What, when you look back on it, what was the most incredible? And first up is Blake, who was John John Silmer for a good run there. And I got to tell you, Mikey, these things hit me. These things hit me and they, they fire me up to surf big time. I Maybe it's a hint of the nostalgia and a hint of like revisiting what what it was. I guess when you see these things, like this was all filmed for Dunn, uh, John John's movie, which I hope everybody remembers because it was so good. You don't really get the backstory then. You're just like, oh my God, look at what John John was doing this whole time and now you get the backstory and you get this whole like it turns out there's a lot to unpack there so these are doing it for me what do you think these are incredible i mean i definitely think there's a nostalgic aspect but at the same time you look at the footage that these guys are getting and again this is back in 2012 it's 10 years ago and a lot of these clips are you know it's it's mostly airs and a lot of them are still keeper clips today so yeah, I, I do think that it pulls that are like, oh my god, I remember this. I remember that Matt Miola air where he goes sideways off the lip and drops eight feet to the flats and somehow rides out of it. But that air today is still fucked up by anyone's standards. Like, absolutely insane. Well, I think the nostalgia for me is like, I remember seeing that air for the first time and freaking out, but I never, I didn't know the backstory at the time. Even though I was working in surf media and I was around that, I didn't know that deep of a backstory at the time. And so now having somebody look back and tell it and still remembering like, oh my God, like this was the craziest thing ever. And I agree with you that it stands the test of time. But hearing the whole story that went into it is just, it's fascinating. And and I mean, these are great. I'm not going to take credit for this, but we used to do something with the same title, but we talked to surf photographers and for me, photography, especially now, is more about like capturing a really interesting moment, whereas the best I've seen was very, like, you want to actually understand it from start to finish. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to just get that little taste that a still frame gives you. You want to see the whole turn. You want to see how they went into it, how they came out of it, what they did before or after, all that. And so I remember I talked to Sam and I was like, hey, like I, I think the photo ones are cool, but like I'd way rather see this in video. Like I, when you talk best surfing, that should be motion. You should see the whole thing. And so I think that helped spark it a bit. But like I said, I, I would feel weird taking any credit for it. And um, I was just gonna say, why don't we listen to Blake break down why this was so special to him? Let's hear it. My name is Blake Cooney. I've been shooting for 12 years. And the best surfing I've ever seen was at Cobblestones in Western Australia in 2012 with John Florence, Albie Lair, and Matt Wheeler. John's very unique in the sense that like, he, he wants to go surf with Gabe Medina when he's like competing. At that time, he wanted to compete against the best competitors. 
But then when he wanted to go make a, a surf part about airs, he wanted to do it with the best in the world, and who he thought was Albie and Matt Miola. And they, they truly were at the time. It seemed like Matt and Albie were just like, this is the heat. Like me going out with John, like going head to head, who's gonna get the best clip, felt like you were watching a contest. And these guys were like really pushing each other what was possible. So obviously Blake was there and he lived through all this, but I actually have a little additional insight that I'm not sure if he left this out because, you know, they wanted to keep it sort of hidden or, you know, it's just kind of this little mysterious part of the story that nobody wanted to mention. But last year when we were filming Stab High in Costa Rica, Albie let me in on a little secret about that filming. So you'll see in this uh, piece that we made, and obviously that's in Done, that for a lot of the clips, Albie is wearing board shorts. And you might think like, oh, you know, maybe he like is Clay Marzoing it, like he's just over wearing a wetsuit. You know, WA is not like freezing. Most of the other guys are in short arms and stuff. Maybe he's just braving it. In reality, a lot of Albie's clips are not from that trip to WA. They're from a wave that is very similar somewhere else in the world. I'm not going to say where it is, but they are completely from a different trip. And it, that's interesting in and of itself, but especially like when you think about Albie as a surfer and like as a surfer and as a human, right? If you go on his Instagram, you'll see a week or so ago, he posted this thing about, you know, what a typical session of like trying airs looks like for him. And, you know, it's a lot of falls. And then, you know, maybe he goes through a little streak where he'll get two or three in a row, but he himself would tell you is not like the most consistent aerial surfer in the world. So he can go through, you know, sessions or trips where he just isn't really clicking. And he obviously gets also really frustrated with himself, which probably compounds the falling and whatnot. So it sounds like on this trip, he didn't really get the clips that he wanted. So he worked like extra hard and went somewhere else to get clips that look so much like WA that the average viewer even the viewer like you or I weren't able to tell. That is insane. I didn't even notice that watching this thing back. I didn't notice the boardy thing, which seems glaring, really. I mean, it's not like a you never see anybody... I don't remember seeing people surfing in boardies in WS. Wow, wild. That is some great intel, Mikey. It blew my mind when he told me that as well, because I'd always remembered him wearing boardies, and like, yeah, just thought like oh he's just whatever over wetsuits but no yeah it was a totally different thing so what little nook on maui somehow gets the wind blown to the right this is my question (laughs) 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 not so loud buckley the world's 10th most popular surfer just nabbed a new sponsor from a brand perspective mikey I love this one. What what do you think about it from, um, you know, if you're the brand here? it's If I'm the brand that sponsored the surfer, or what brand am I? Whatever brand you want to be. <laughs> well, I'm being like, who the fuck is the 10th most popular surfer in the world? And why don't we know about him? Um, so, obviously, if you read this story, you know that it's about Benji Brand, who you might be asking, why is Benji Brand the 10th most popular surfer in the world? And the answer to that is simple. Last year, he placed tied 10th in our Stab Surfer of the Year poll. He tied with Craig Anderson. And as you know, that poll is basically a peer poll. We asked 45 of the world's most influential surfers and people in the surf industry 
who basically had the most captivating performances to them in that calendar year. Then we give the last 10% of votes to our Stab Premium audience, who, as we know, are kind of the most you know, diligent and passionate surf fans. And that determines basically where people rank in that year's sort of like power rankings. So last year we obviously had John Florence win, and we had Carissa Moore on the female side. And, you know, that list tapers down. But Benji Brand, after his performance in Snapped 4, he got number 10, which is crazy. Like he, pa- he placed above people like Noah Dean, Felipe Toledo, like really big household names, both in the free surfing and competition world, all because of this three-minute section that he put together that didn't even like win Snapped 4. And he still is placing ahead of guys, you know, like Baron Mamiya, who should have theoretically won Snapped 4. Um, cool. So it's pretty fascinating. And Benji's been sponsorless for like two years. So this is pretty cool for him. How old is he? Uh, he's a little younger than me. He'd be like 26 or something like that. 25. Okay. Well, I know it's not for everybody, but you think about people like, like, you know, people say that the North Shore is almost like the epicenter for vlogs. Jamie O'Brien's been hammering away at it for a while. Nathan Florence is in now. And, and even when you look at somebody that like might not resonate with everybody, but like a Ben Gravy, like these guys all talk about building their brand and it's such a new thing for a lot of people. But you're saying Benji's 26. He's been hammering away at building his own brand for 26 years. And do you think that has something to do with this? I mean, there's just something really compelling. Like we saw it happen with, you know, Laurie Towner a few years ago where he kind of obviously has been sponsorless for a while now. And he put on some crazy performances at Cloudbreak and even around home. And he put out a film and it really just kind of, re-cemented him in people's minds like oh my god I forgot how good this guy is and how much I appreciate just a humble person who goes and you know maybe they work a job and then when the waves are pumping they go and surf as well as if not better than the so-called you know best surfers in the world who have stickers all over their boards so I think it's like an everyman sort of feel like we just appreciate people who just go and do the thing and aren't making a ton of noise about it so, I, you know, there's, there's, it seems like there's space for like one or two of those people every year, and this year was Benji's year. I mean, Lori Towner, like, maybe a good fit for TNC with like the town in his name, but like, I just don't know with. Yeah, well, so Benji, of course, he's now sponsored by Salty Crew, which makes a lot of sense with his lifestyle because when he's not surfing, he's fishing. He actually spent the 10K that he won for winning the best barrel in Snapped for. And he put it straight into a new boat so that he could go spearfishing off Hawaii. And also so he could do some tours with it to make some money on the side because he didn't have a sponsor. Um, So that's kind of just like where he goes naturally. So it seemed like a good brand fit. And he actually was the one who went and reached out to the brand himself and said, hey, look, you know, obviously this pro surfing thing isn't really working out for me, but I really love what you guys do. Nobody else kind of feels like they match me as well on a brand side. Um, So he kind of just put a little feeler out there and you know they went through the internal cogs they talked to cj hobgood who's been on the team for a really long time and he gave him the seal of approval they talked to other team members you know the matt miolas um levi slauson guys like that and everybody's like fuck yeah benji's the man put him on the team so benji is now a sponsored professional surfer again well there you have it folks buy a boat your life your life gets better so All right, and here we are. Time for the surf sin. Wow. We have got... I've got a kindred spirit here. Um, I listened to this, and 
wow, I could relate. I think that's that's a fun thing about the surf sins. I think that a lot of people, when I listen to them, I can relate to a lot of them. I could understand the logic why somebody would feel guilty but also act the way they acted. And This one really hit me. This one hit me in a very deep way, and uh, let's hear it. Hey boys, it's Lucas here from WA. I've got to confess a surf sin that's been eating away at me for a while. So going back a few months ago, uh, there was this one big day we had line up on a weekend with the waves looking pretty good and the winds were winds were in the right direction for this one beach break. So um, this one wave takes about 40 minutes to get there, maybe maybe an hour, and it's, it's always crowded. So we've got there, the waves look good, pretty busy, and yeah pretty big so anyway we get we get out there and after about half an hour 40 minutes to snap my leggy and uh, yeah it's pretty um pretty big and i had to swim in so, uh, this wave you can drive on the beach or you could um you could park at the top car park and instead of driving on the beach we parked at the top it's about a five to ten minute walk down and um i knew i didn't have a leggy in my car and being a broke first year apprentice, didn't really want to go buy one. So I've lined up a car on the beach where I could tell someone was out in the water and they've had a few boards, spare backup boards, laying around the like, back of the car. And I've, what I've done is I've come in the dunes, gone right up in the dunes, come down behind this one car and um, ripped his leggy off his backup board chucked it in my wedding and ran back up in the dunes and chucked it chucked it on my board and then got back out there and uh, saved myself having to drive back to town and get a new leg rope plus scored a free fcs2 leggy and got to finish my surf off so feel pretty bad but had to do what i had to do so yeah let us know my penance cheers oh lucas Lucas, Lucas, Lucas. So, big swall coming in. Two people. Two types of people. There are the people that have backup boards with, as you call them, FCS 2 leashes, which I loved because that's absolutely not it. Um, And then there's the people that are just pirates and show up with the wrong board and just are trying to make it work against all odds and i know who i am i'm a pirate i surfed today with the board i bought for 75 dollars off of craigslist with i had to cut my wife's sandal open to make a leaf string out of it which i did months ago but i still haven't changed it um she just lost a little rung of her sandal so i could i had to rip it out and it's just still there it's leather i think or some leather alternative and it's great so people if you ever need uh, leash string alternative leather sandals great do you want to know how different we are buck i literally have a leash string in my pocket right now <laughs> just oh my god go. i can confirm this he we're <laughs> speaking on on facetime right now and he has it he's not lying so yeah I, I mean honestly you you might have the fcs freedom leash which why didn't they call it fcs too just go all in on the fcs too everything's fancy do it like that freedom i mean why just fcs2 leash i'm gonna call him that now but yeah so as a result like i think you're gonna have to give out the first penance because 
the way I think about it is that like I I would have done the same exact thing, and it's almost like how can you judge somebody stealing to get a, out of poverty type situation? Like when when desperation sets in, it's like how do you act? Um, so you're gonna have to do your penance first because I, I don't know how I can even I, – I got one in mind, but it's so light. Because like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong here. <laughs> but then again, I'm pretty sure like the first laws existed for this reason. You can just steal somebody else's shit. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, let's – I mean let's get things straight. He did do a couple things wrong. So he, he had – okay, I'll say he had options. He had the option to continue surfing without a leash, Puerto Escondido style. He had the option to do what he did to go get somebody else's leash and to paddle out and say, hey, whoever had the freaking RAV4 on the beach, I'm really sorry, but I borrowed a leash off of your board. So when you're going to leave, let me know and I'll give it back to you. Mine broke. That, that was an option that he had. He, he didn't do that. So he not only like took the leash in the moment, but then he still owns the leash today. It's one thing if you, like, find a leash and grab it, but he, like, took it off a board that was preset. Like, it was very much established in that surfboard. I think there's a big difference there. Okay, so, anyway, my penance is very simple, and I think it's very fair. The next time that he's out surfing, and a friend or a stranger either breaks their board or breaks their leash, he has to immediately insist upon giving him theirs, or giving them his, sorry, so if it's a leash, you're kind of, that's just pretty fair and even compared to what happened here. And, and it's a give forever. It's not a give for the rest of the session. If it's a board, you've got to give up a board. That is like kind of the, the line that you towed. So if somebody breaks their board, you need to paddle in and say, here, take mine. I, I need to do this. It's a, it's a penance. I've sinned in my past and, you know, I, I realize that you need this more than I do right now. So I insist that you take this board. And like he can't, it can't be like one of those things where, because obviously your reaction if somebody does that to you is going to be like, oh, no, man, it's fine. I, you know, I have other boards or I can get this fixed or whatever. But like he needs to insist. He needs to like, worst case, he like hands them the board and runs away. Like he cannot touch that piece of surf equipment again, whether it's a board or a leash. So that is your penance. Wow. Wow. I like that. I like it. I think it's, I think it's stern, but yeah. I I think it's creative. I think it's spiritual. Um, so like I said, I don't think he did anything wrong. As a pirate, I mean, oh, yeah, I would have done the same thing. And honestly, honestly, if you if you show up and you've got multiple leashes and your RAV4, I'm not saying that your RAV4 deserves to be stolen, but you're asking for the leash to go. Okay. <laughs> You're asking for it. And so my penance is just going to be a little bit more simple. I've talked about it before, but I, le I believe in a leash economy. I believe they circulate. I don't really think that it's, you know, this tight ownership situation. I think they just kind of flow freely throughout, in and out. So it's for me, it's just a take a book, leave a book, take a leash, leave a leash situation. <laughs> I like how you applied the situation to it. Um but mine would just be you got to give a leash away. You can't do it in a way of like just handing it, buying it from a surf rag. It's still got the cardboard on it. You give it away. More of just like, a, you know, find a way to give a leash to somebody who needs it. And I guess yours is more accurate. Like it's some that person definitely needs it or a board in that situation. So mine is just to, to clear your conscience. You need to give away a leash at some point. 
I'm just not going to be as situational as Mikey, although I love that. Um, so you should probably do that. Just the board's a bit too far, because come on, that guy, his RAV4, he deserved it. You can't show up with a RAV4 and FCS Freedom Leash is flying around everywhere and not expect one of them to go away. Like, come on. Like, I would steal that leash if I didn't even need it. Okay, like, well, you have your choice. Obviously, Bucks, you probably, you know, yeah, you can decide what makes you feel right like you've repented properly and you have overcome your sin uh so i'll leave that to you lucas but i think you know what the right answer is all right and as always you can send your surf sins to myself michael at stabbank.com buck at stabbank.com or danny at stabbank.com and now we're going into the real meat of this episode. Without further ado, here we have Dane Reynolds and Brendan Buckley, Stab's editor-in-chief, talking about former's new film, System Is Yours, and a lot of other things, too. All right, I am here with Dane Reynolds, the man behind the latest former surf film, System Is Yours, featuring Dane, Craig, Benny Howard, Kaito Ohasi, and Droid. You want to start by telling us a bit about it? Yeah, it's just a, a surf video. Not too complicated. Hopefully uh, everyone enjoys the surfing and music and um, gets inspired to go surf. Um, it's good surfing from Craig and Benny and Australia. Um, my stuff, I did it. Really, it was pretty limited to what we could do with the past two years. As everyone knows, with travel, pretty shut down. So... Um, it's just from a couple short trips. I didn't want any California footage in it cause it's just not only played out, but really difficult to film in really crowded conditions. So, um, I'm kind of leaving that to like chapter 11 stuff where it's more about the environment and story and put my best surfing in this one. Cool. Can you tell me a bit about that trip with uh, you, Droid, and Kaito in Central America? That's just, to me, that's kind of like a fascinating mix of people. And I just wonder what, like, obviously you can see what the surfing's like, and it's really good. But what was, like, the vibe like on that trip? Can you tell me a bit about it? Um, I mean, that trip was hilarious, and I hope that's kind of how it's, it's uh, conveyed in the film. It was just, we brought my buddy Matt. Um, well, first of all, we went to Costa Rica because Kaito was down there for your guys' thing. And I just wanted to link everyone up and um, do a quick surf trip. And time was limited for everyone, so it just was a couple-day trip. And my buddy Matt, um, he's got – his brother has a house down there. And he's like, oh, free place to stay. We were just like, epic, like budget little surf trip, like get everyone together for a quick trip. And uh, we got down there and like – uh, we call <laughs> we call everything that has to do with Matt Black Cloud because he just has a black cloud following him. And um, we got down there and just the power – he couldn't get the power on in his brother's place. Um, There's just full of insects, just flat tires, just everything that could go wrong went wrong in these three days. And everyone is just like – why are you guys here? It was pumping last week. <laughs> like just your typical thing. And we got fun enough waves and I hope the vibe comes through. Cause it was just super fun getting everyone together after, uh, not being able to for a while. That was last May. And, uh, yeah, just cool to surf with everyone again. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely got that vibe watching it. It is, you know, there's that one clip in there where there's a guy in front of you, um, and <laughs> he kind of looks back, and then you appear on the wave and fall, and that's like, clips like that, I, I don't know, to me that communicated that it was like a fun, lighthearted, funny trip, and um, yeah, it was, I loved I mean, it's pretty classic going to uh, tourist destinations to try to film a surf clip, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do a good job of conveying that, too. It, it really looks like, uh, at first I almost thought, like, I guess, it. I forget if it said it, but at first I almost thought it was, like, Changu, because I feel like that's the type of behavior that you see there initially, and, like, it's all right, that kind of looks similar. But, yeah, I can only imagine what... Definitely in the same vein. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine what it's like to to have to deal with that it must be there must be some funny interactions too huh oh totally it it's i wish that you could i really boil down trips like that into <laughs> like i try but there's just so much funny things that happen and you just i don't know when you're on a trip with matt you just feel like everything that goes wrong that can go wrong goes wrong and it's just hilarious <laughs> Do you like prepare for that in advance? You just like go into the trip knowing like, okay, like the, the tire is going to go flat. Like the wheels are going to come falling off. Like, do you, do you have that feeling going to it or do you let it catch you off guard? Mm, somewhere in between. You're aware that, that, um, it's going to be a shit show and you hope for the best. And after all, that's part of the fun of doing a surf trip is everything that goes wrong. You know, I mean, when you're at home, you have everything so structured and planned and you have, I don't know, it's just part of the fun of travels. And, um, uh, it's, it's good if you don't get too frustrated and, and can, can, um, have some laughs about, uh, <laughs> the ridiculousness of trying to get surf clips in amongst a very crowded lineup. And, um, yeah, part of the fun. Yeah, I think I feel like that place just has some good meltdown energy too. Like I've definitely had a trip there years ago where I just remember we're severely hungover and then somebody was kind of missing and then we ran over a chicken and it just like all just it felt natural that place for some reason. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I think we were we were squatting in a house too. I think it was. I mean, you guys sound like you had some problems, but somebody actually owned the place. I think after the fact, we kind of like. Figured out that maybe, uh, yeah, it was a weird trip. I'll leave it at that. That sounds like on the, along the same lines. Like uh, Matt's brother had like a hippie chick staying there that was meant to be taking care of it, but it was pretty <laughs> shambles. Lots of insects. Um, the clip that enter the clip that um, kicks off the section with the flat tire uh, was so funny. It was on a Sunday afternoon, and we were leaving at like four in the morning the next day, and. Um, we got a flat tire, and in Central America, nobody works on a uh, Sunday afternoon. So we were driving all through town, and everybody spills out of like the local market drinking beers. So we and we had a bumper hanging down. We lost a bumper in a puddle, and the bumper was dragging, dragging under the car. And we had a flat tire, and we were just driving back and forth in front of this uh, group of people drinking beers, and they're all cheering, and it's just so funny. <laughs> We couldn't change the tire because the um, one of the lug nuts had been jerry-rigged with like an eighth-inch thing that nothing could get a 
grasp on. It was just so fun. It's such a shit show, but so funny. Wow. Well, looks like you guys got some fun waves in the end, and there's some really good clips in there. Um, really nice seeing more of Droid too. It's so rare, but it's just yeah, totally. You always hope for better waves, but uh, the waves were totally fun. The waves were really fun there. Yeah, yeah. And then the the other part of the did with uh, with Craig and Benny. I I wonder what it's like for you, like having known Craig for so long and seeing him at those waves in Australia, and just like it seems to me like he's just getting better and better and getting like crazier and crazier waves. Like, what's your perspective on all that? Uh, Craig's funny. He is like the most low key, uh, self deprecating charger ever. I mean, he would never, he would never say that he seeks those type of waves or wants them. He would say the polar opposite. And then he always finds himself in, in self in positions where, I mean, I don't know what you do. If you end up on the beach on a day like that, are you, are you just not going to paddle out? I don't, I just think he finds himself in positions like that because he's uh, with these boogie boarders that film and they know all the slabs. And I think he just ends up in positions where it's like you can't really not do that. And then you can't really not try it. And then, you know, he ends up just in a precarious position of heavy waves in front of him where he has to go and try it and uh yeah but he's the most self-deprecating he'll say that he's what hates hates big waves hates sketchy waves hates it all and then then you see him paddling into like the most unmakeable sketchy slab ever <laughs> he says his career his tow career is done so we'll see yeah i kind of get like i feel like like big wave surfers almost like an identity you know for some people and it's like they're gonna talk about it like this and they're gonna dress like this and it's just gonna be all like serious i get like his avoidance or his reluctance to like claim it in any way yeah i don't know oddly you probably know tom Lowe because i've i've hung out with him in portugal and he kind of he has the same thing and then he's like absolutely the gnarliest one of the gnarliest dudes on earth as far as like <laughs> surfing big waves so yeah i don't know maybe it's like a coping mechanism where you just like if you um act like you don't want it and and tell everyone that you're scared then you surprise yourself or something i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah maybe maybe you can take like the pressure off in a weird way I'd be like oh well, it's not like who i am that's not what i do as a surfer and just happen to be in front of it yeah you know what that maybe i mean that's probably why i would always like say i hated contests and didn't care because <laughs> and when you lose you're like it's not such a letdown or whatever i don't know or don't perform yeah, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I want to get into some stuff around that in a bit, but while we're talking about the movie, I wanted to I wanted to ask you, like, I've said on the podcast here before, but I think you're so good at at creating this like sense of feeling and the sense of a scene, just obviously without you see so much like over the top ways that people try to do that now, whether it's like just a piece of the camera or whatever it is. But when I watch your stuff, especially the chapter eleven stuff, I feel like I I have a feeling what's going on in that lineup. I, I, I just, I don't know. There's such a feeling to it. And I guess it really conveys the culture of, even when these cultures are like a tiny little thing confined to like one lineup. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, do you feel like surf culture is changing? Like, is it something that you notice in the water when you paddle out that like people are behaving differently or there's just different, like 
do you get the sense that the whole thing's changing i guess uh yeah i mean constantly changing for sure as everything is but um i find that there's definitely less uh rules less enforcement of said rules which don't seem to exist uh there's less like hierarchy um there's a lot more surfers and maybe less people that still try to teach or enforce these rules. <laughs> um, as far as professional surfing goes, it's changed uh, in, insanely uh, just how you get recognition. And um, there used to be a whole team of people that were there to portray you and... Um, prom uh, promote you, I guess, but like put you in magazines and, and surf videos. And then in turn, your sponsors are happy when the trans world media report comes out and you're ranked highly. And that is completely gone. There's no surf magazines. It's everybody has to be self-promotional, which when I was a kid, that was like uh, sort of distasteful. Um, but everyone's their own like media marketing machine and is in charge of, uh, promoting and getting themselves seen and viewed. And then in turn, now it's like social statistics, social media statistics is how you're, you're sort of quantified to sponsorship. And there's just a, like a lot less sponsorship, like pretty much just have to align. Like if you align with Vans, you're, you are killing it. I, in my opinion, they're the best best sponsor out there the best brand they're like doing the most stuff with their riders and putting money back into surfing and um and they keep their guys on um through their different like stages of life which is really cool i, I always thought Volcom was super sick like that until they weren't sick like that where do you think the best surfing is happening right now like who do you look at or where do you look and see just the stuff that blows your mind the most? Uh, Italo Ferreira's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. There's no, that's really weird that there is no, like, I mean, stab's the closest thing stab and stab. I really, uh, am thankful for stab. <laughs> as weird as that sounds on a stab uh um podcast but they're the only ones that are still like putting time and effort into creativity within surf and creating projects and um really doing anything it's like stab and vans and former <laughs> um yeah i don't know it's it's I mean, yeah, there's no money in it, so there's no, like, careerist surf filmmakers. It's just used as a stepping stone to get commercial work now because that's where you can make a living. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I guess if you're somebody who wants to create things within surf, you got to be Italo Ferreira's filmer or align with Vans, Red Bull... Or stab. It's like the three. I guess that I'm 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 not mentioning WSL. I guess actually they are doing a lot of. They WSL does a lot of stuff. I just don't like their output. Yeah. Well, do you still watch the comps, or do you? When you say you don't like the output, do you mean like the videos and stuff they try to produce? 
Um, yeah, no, I, I, I pay attention a little bit. Um, I watched the, um, I forget, make it or break or whatever. I watched maybe like half of those and, and it's, I don't know, bad, but they're trying at least. Was that WSL too? I mean, it was better than the ultimate surfer. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually the, the ultimate surfer was like a full WSL idea. Uh, make or break wasn't. We actually we told this story recently, where, you know, like you know that kid Josh Burke, um, kid from Barbados. His dad Alan Burke, who's like OG kind of like friends with Kelly type guy, has a surf school in Barbados. And the guy who made like you know they did that crazy F one show. This guy just showed up for a surf lesson, and um, Alan Burke told him like, "Hey, surfing's sick. Like, you should you should make a series on it." And they actually listened, which to me is the most baffling thing. Like, I can't ima- like I can't imagine. You know, I, I feel like every conversation that guy must have had would have been like, "Hey, do this for this world," you know. And just the fact that he took like a a surf instructor's advice seriously and it became that show is like it's pretty mind blowing to me. Yeah, that's cool, and I don't want to talk shit on anybody that's that's doing anything within surf. I, any attention is cool, I think, because I just love surfing. It's like just the best thing in the world. Um, so I'm definitely not talking shit, but it's not something that I appreciate or see like, uh, I don't know, artistic value or like something that is pushing surfing into any sort of cool or creative realm. Um, it's just. It's just, but that's what people want to see these days. So maybe I'm, I'm the loser. Uh, I think, I mean, I think those are just representations of people trying to show surfing in a different way to a different audience. You know, it's not, it's not for us really. If we happen to like it, cool. If not, you know, I I don't think it was for people who are like are really, really into surfing. Um, Just now that you said that you think surfing is the best thing in the world. Why do you think that is? What do you think? Like, gives it so much gravity for you uh just the the actual like physical act of riding like a ball of energy that's rolled through the ocean from a storm and you are out in nature every time you go surf you just there's new things whether it's a dolphin or seals or stepping on a stingray (laughs) whatever it is it's just like so unique and every single day is different every wave is different and uh those like magic moments where the all the elements come together and the surf is actually really exciting and fun happen like just often enough to just keep you addicted and it's just a healthy addiction that keeps you physical and active and uh and I can't believe just um it's so I trip out on this um for surfing and I know that I'm like blessed to have been able to travel and surf a lot, but I can't believe all the experiences that I've had because surfing took me there. Whereas like say with my family or something like that, you plan experiences and a lot of the time it feels like, like you're looking for an experience. And then when I'm going on surf trips or going and surfing, surfing is the focus and that it's insane how many like cool experiences come out of the peripheral of chasing waves oh for sure for sure i mean that i could so i don't know there's so many levels to it it's like i don't know like i've if i go snowboarding like i'll get bored after like 
and I understand that that's that that snowboarding is that that to some other people, but to for me, like just going down the mountain over and over, there's not enough changing elements that keeps me really active at like addicted in the way that surfing, even when the waves are average, it's just it's insane that every wave is different and then it expires and it's done and that wave will never exist again. It's just a really weird thing that I don't know if anywhere else in the world exists. Oh man, I um I started working at Quicksilver I think pretty much shortly after you'd you'd left. And I had these like experiences where like I don't know, I guess I would try snowboarding growing up, but it always just felt like this same way that you did about it. And I had this one moment where through Quicksilver, I did like a like fully got to go like into the Canadian backcountry in like a helicopter with Travis Rice, and I just felt like the biggest prick because I was just thinking of that like if you could compare that to something in surfing, somebody who like is almost like on a crazy immense boat trip and just has this insane opportunity to do that and just doesn't really appreciate it. Like I, I swear to God, like I wish I could say that I like that was the best moment of my life or like a high point for me, but like I didn't give a fuck. Like I was just like, this is kind of cool. Like I don't know, I could go this, do a little turn this way, that way. It's just like I, I couldn't agree more with like that that changing fast pace, like something about surfing that snowboarding just seemed to lack for me. I trip out because my wife has zero interest in surfing and I'll like every couple years she'll like try it again and she's kind of like super take it or leave it like just yeah i guess that was fun and i just don't understand how you couldn't have that same like experience like that same love even at uh a beginner level like it's still just i don't know maybe yeah maybe it's not as fun at a lower level um for everyone but i don't know that's that's my uh Mm. that's my take on Mm. surfing (laughs) i trip so much on waves too like i i just love like if you go to the beach, especially if the tide's kind of if it's outgoing, you could watch like little waves kind of. You know how like you hear that like waves move in trains and that the the last wave will kind of overtake one. And I've been like just looking down a lot and even just like looking at the water moving when I'm in the ocean. Like I'm not talking about like a line of swell, but just watching what the water does in a way that um like a lot of times like if you watch a wedge or something you could clearly see how it's contributing how like a a different part of water that wasn't part of that swell helped make that kind of moment that you're going to get to experience um and i i get so lost in that shit and i just like i could just stare at the water for hours and try to look at these little little things like i don't care about watching a line of swell really move through i like watching like the little things i think like if you watch something happen on a small scale i feel like it's probably almost certainly happening on a large scale and a lot of the things with nature and I just I just trip on that stuff, especially lately. I've been going down rabbit holes. Yeah, that's funny. But anyway, so before you're talking about how like surfing sometimes does build up to this awesome moment, do you find that you get frustrated when it doesn't? Like, do you do you find that when you know things aren't perfect, when the waves are shit, that like you get genuinely frustrated, or do you still feel like you enjoy it? I've uh, kind of both. Uh, I. I definitely have uh, moments of frustration for sure, uh, but it still rules. Even at ba- at worst, or a day surfing, like, um, yeah, it's funny story. Kind of, um, this is like a year ago. Like rare, rare pumping day in California, and uh, 
and it was like a big beach break where there's like kind of peaks everywhere. And I surfed for so many hours and, uh, I was getting really, really frustrated cause I wasn't getting anything. And everywhere I looked, it looked like everyone else was getting sick pits. And then like a couple of my, uh, friends from out of town piled out and were screaming on top of their lungs, how sick it was and how they were getting. And I was like, so annoyed. Cause I was just like, I'm not getting shit. Yeah. Like, fuck, like must be nice. Like, you know, just like full dickhead. I started getting angry and was kind of just feeling like a dick. Like this one guy, random guy got a pit and kicked out screaming at the top of his lung. Oh my fucking God. And I was like, Argh. and then at the end of the day, the sun was going down and there was also like 10 filmers on the beach. So, um, Hunter and I moved up the beach like a hundred yards to like, so that like, if I did get anything, wasn't going straight to surf line, like swell, swell of the day or whatever. And the sun was going down and I was like, had this moment where I was like, you know what? I've been in the ocean all day. I'm an asshole for being frustrated and annoyed. I should just like, I should just appreciate this moment. Like I'm a dickhead, like fuck, what a great day, even though I didn't really get a good one. And then like one of the better waves of the day came to me and I thought I was going to be too far in. And I like was like, fuck it, just like send it and like took off under the lip and barely made the drop and then like foam ball ride and got spit out. And I was like, fuck yeah. Like, Oh my God. Like perfect. And then I came in and Hunter's like, dude, my batteries went out 10 minutes ago. And, and like, I don't know, you, you can't get fresh. I don't know. It's still, I, I, I guess the moral of the story is just being in the ocean. Sometimes I can get frustrated with crowds or not making making stuff that's documentable like turns and errors and whatever and like feeling like um like my back's against the wall trying to surf in a crowd or something like that but uh a day in the ocean is never worth getting frustrated over but sometimes I do lose my cool and in the end and when you're hindsight reflection you're always just like appreciative and uh, just stoked to be in nature, in the ocean, doing a physical activity that, that, um, sparks your creativity. And, um, I don't know, just, I do get frustrated, but I shouldn't. And I try not to, <laughs> I get frustrated when people aren't, aren't abiding by rules that I grew up having to, um, to go by <laughs> that frustrates me. So I just feel like I'm the asshole that's been going by the rules all this time, and now it's like there is none. Just etiquette and stuff. I can't really speak to that. Like, it's over here. Like, I definitely summertime in France, for example. Like, if you surf on a two foot day, and a two foot wave can be fun. Like, you get a little wedge, and you know, maybe do a turn or an error or something. And like, if you go out on days like that, especially if it's like a Saturday, sunny, like worst case scenario yeah, there's going to be a million people out on foamies and they're not going to care. They're going to just burn you. But like, other than that, if it gets like twice the size, it's like normal again. I don't know. I, I, and I guess like even the waves here in Portugal, like there's still very clearly a hierarchy. There's still very clearly people enforcing it. And like, I, I don't know. I've, I've been really lucky to feel like, which I'm, I think is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I when, when I go to other, other people's spots, when I, when I'm in Portugal, I, I'm not paddling to the top of the peak instantly or expecting sets i just i i i will slink around and get what i get because it's not my place to take 
I don't know. It's just that's the rules that I've been that I've gone been taught and gone by, and yeah, just it's um, not really the. I don't feel the case most places that I go. Well, I've been lucky to like I like hear stories like that, and I just I honestly can't say I've experienced it firsthand. But like I haven't I haven't spent too much time in California lately. Well, California is just the chaos. Yeah. yeah. All rules are out in California. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, it feels like people in Australia are pretty... I They share the sentiment there, too, that, like, it's fucked. <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I'm... I never... I'm, I'm like, I hear these stories. I'm like, really? Like, that happens? That sounds fucked. Well, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's just my fault for surfing waves that you can ride soft tops and mid-lengths at, you know? <laughs> but that's kind of all there is. Do you film, like, every surf, or do you have to have a project in mind you have to or is there like days where you're just going to paddle out 30 minutes an hour and just get some waves like no intention to film or anything yeah i i film less these days i um at the beginning of 2020 when i first started doing chapter 11 and there was like nowhere to go and the waves were bad we were filming a lot just because that was just what we had in front of us and then last year filming a lot less of uh waves that aren't worth filming because it just feels silly yeah so when you paddle out on something like that like is there a difference between like how do you kind of i get it when you're working on a project and it's like the difference is like you said having serving that you're like happy to have documented but when you're not filming how do you kind of judge like a good surfer or bad surfer is there like a certain level of like satisfaction that that you feel like um you're like okay that was that was good or that was bad like how do you kind of find that line Mm, i don't know i mean most days of surfing in california just feels like a practice or an exercise in a way because um i'll just go you know catch 30 waves and maybe feel out of board or something like that and um i know it becomes like a social activity too. just meet up with my friends and and go catch some waves and then talk shit after and go home uh i don't put too much emphasis on like uh on any performance except for just kind of checking in on like i don't know keeping my knees moving and just just kind of like a little bit of practice for when the waves are are good so you're not too rusty yeah well did you say 30 waves before yeah wow i mean Um... the short ones well, yeah, I mean, they, they they break for about three seconds in Ventura. <laughs> I I just surf Immelwood like every day because it's so easy and uh, nowhere else is really any better. It, it'll be two foot most days, but at least it has like a little corner to it. And you park, you can see it from your car, you walk down the rocks and you can legitimately catch 30 waves in 45 minutes. Good sell. Can't, and it's uh, would be annoying to ride a mid lane there. So. It would. <laughs> Full sanctuary. Yeah. When you look back, well, I guess even now and looking back, are you able to find any threads of like certain kind of things that come together that have enabled you to surf your best? Is there anything that, like, like I said, whether it's how you think about it today or if you look back on your career as a whole and think like, okay, this is a peak moment. Why did this happen? Are there any like kind of common threads you can see there? Mm, definitely boards. Uh being on the right equipment when the, all the elements come together, I think is pretty important. Like say it's six foot and pumping and I just have a neck beard. Like I'm not going to be surfing my best. Like, yeah, my neck beard allows me to surf my best in two foot Emma wood, but, um, 
but I've had boards over the years that were just like my go-to that I'll keep for two years, three years even. And if I'm on one of those, when the conditions and everything come together, uh, that definitely allows you to do your best surfing. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's certain boards that are built to generate speed and certain ones that are built to harness speed. And when the waves are pumping, you just need to be on the right equipment that allows you to go where you want to go on a wave. And I guess like injuries and stuff, you know, like not having an injury when, when all the elements come together and being on the right equipment and yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Do you still, speaking of equipment, do you still let your mind wander into the vortex of fin placement? I'm like a, a psycho about fin cant. I'm, I have a measuring tape in the back of my car and I'll measure my fins every time I, I put a new set in. Okay. Uh, but that's like not enough. Really? Yeah, but it depends on concave, too. Is there a magic number for you? Yeah, but pretty much like seven-eighths of an inch splay to an inch of splay is like the magic number for most, for the most part. But then if it, a board has a lot of concave, you can have them like three-quarters of an inch splay and they feel good. And so you just get the measure out and uh, make sure it's, it's right on point, eh? Yeah, I have sets of fins that are between 5.5 degrees and 8 degrees. And... Um, I'm just a stickler with, uh, wow. with display. Interesting. But then fin placement, not as much. It's more just that, that can't or that splay. Yeah. Cool. Pretty much. Um, I have fooled with fin placement a, a little bit in the last like two years, but I think it's pretty much just like between 10 and three quarters for the front fins and 11 inches and like three and three quarters in the back is just kind of the, for thruster at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's what? interesting how a lot of twin people are putting twin fins way far back. Yeah, I've actually I had a conversation with Matt Parker from Album once, and he was saying that like the placement was a really really important element in like getting the boards to do what you know guys like Kersey are doing on them now. Yeah, there a lot of people are putting the twin fins like way further back, which gives you a lot more control, but also doesn't really have that like typical twin fin feel. And I haven't loved any boards like that, but. But yeah, like Mikey February and and Kersey are doing crazy surfing on twin fins, like with the fins back. I want to talk a bit about former. Do you have a title there? Do you have like a a list of roles and responsibilities? Like what what would you kind of how would you describe that? Oh man, I don't know. I'm I'm I guess I'm just owner, but I do still deal with like daily operations and mostly decisions on like creative end these days. I wouldn't. I don't have a title though. Cool. And is there like is there anything that you like have to, is it, is the business designed in a way where you have to have like the final say on things or are there some people that have some sort of like, I'm, I'm the media manager. I'm the, I'm the editor actually. <laughs> Great. Um, we just, yeah, we just kind of have meeting. We have meetings like every two weeks and just kind of go over who delegate roles, um, according to what's happening at that moment. But I've been put in place a lot of like creative stuff, like, uh, marketing videos and surf videos that have to do with projects. That's been my role lately. I mean, system is yours. You did a great job there. Thank you. Yeah, I was stoked on the way it turned out. Like there was a lot of limitations on on everything the past two years. And uh, I was stoked on what we could put together. It's got like a cool like team vibe between Craig and Benny and Droid and Kaito and I. Yeah, yeah. It definitely has a really good feel to it. Do you feel like there's any difference like I get that you have to do a lot of, you know, work on the computer and, and stuff like this for former, but when it comes to actually surfing, 
I guess with any an employee of anything, you know, I guess the sweet spot is that the employee is getting value out of the employer and vice versa. And there's kind of like this, this middle ground. I mean, I definitely feel that way at stab. Like if I, I would, I'm nowhere near delusional enough to think that I could like build a audience of people that want to read my writing or anything like that without something like stab. But with former, is there any difference or do you feel like a different sense of pride or something with surfing with that on your nose rather than like surfing with, I'll just use the quickie one. I know you were on rip girl back then too, but just with the Quicksilver logo on your nose and like getting a feeling that you're, you're moving something for somebody else. Do you sense that at all? Um, I wish the sticker fit better on the nose. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, Craig's been throwing it on the nose a little bit. Uh, there's definitely a sense of pride. I mean, it's pretty cool. Like at this stage of the business that, um, I mean, I ran it out of my garage for 18 months and the fact that it's like finally getting traction and actually getting a real, um, sort of go within the industry is pretty cool and uh definitely proud to have um built it with my friends and uh definitely a sense of pride yeah running running the former crux <laughs> yeah what's been the most like is there anything that's surprising that's been like sucking you in about the business like anything that you maybe didn't think that you'd be that interested in that once it starts happening you find yourself like really drawn to i guess just like it's been a huge learning experience building a business. I just didn't even think I was, I didn't think of it as starting a business when we started. Um, I was so much more not about the industry side, but more like cultural, you know, change shift or whatever is what I was thinking I was getting a part of. And um, surprisingly running a business is steep learning curve and it's been pretty fascinating um, learning how to build a business. Yeah, um, I guess that's surprising. I I remember I did an interview when I was a kid and they asked what my dad did and I said he's just a businessman or something like that and he was like offended by that and I'm like, kind of realize now just how much goes into running, building a business is, is uh, insane and uh, I've gotten pretty into it. Yeah, yeah, do you like consume media and stuff around that or do you just kind of learn as you go with it or where i have yeah yeah no i've i've uh i've definitely read books and and tried to educate myself on um how to grow this thing what do you think has been some of the most impactful stuff for you like any any book or a podcast or anything that sticks out for that just hands-on experience like the first uh first two years i was pretty hands-off and we had hired a bunch of people to run it and when that hit a dead end and I was too um stubborn to give it up but we were basically I guess out of business because we couldn't pay our employees anymore that's when I moved it into my garage and just being hands-on and doing daily operations like packing and shipping and talking to customers and um, really just seeing how much product comes in and what goes out and just being like, holy shit, we have to sell this much product to be able to like keep the lights on. It's just crazy. Um, that I just say more of the hands-on experience has been the biggest eye opener. I just figured I could do it cause my wife's been running stuff out of our garage for years. And I was like, fuck it. I could do this. Like, and I was too stubborn to give it up. And then, um, after doing that for 18 months, we were like, back kind of back 
still touch and go with just like monthly finances, but we're um, sort of hitting a little bit of a stride and then Austin wanted to take it over. Um, and he was picturing more of like an event oriented space in, in uh, LA. So we rented a spot and then I remember we went to the first event and everyone was talking about like COVID in China and we we're like, what the fuck is it? Like what? Like couldn't really even figure, like could not have, could not have ever pictured it impacting everything so much. So, um, so then we had to pivot and shift into another way as well. And, um, oddly with COVID, um, some, uh, industry veterans have come in, uh, to help us out. And, um, we've been kind of making some pretty good strides and opened up Australia, which has been really cool. Um, we just did a system as yours tour down there and it was, response is really good it was cool if you i i've heard you before say that you know former doesn't isn't really in a position to like have the team as much as you'd like to say that you had unlimited funds what do you think your surf team could look like who would you most want to sign or what would it what would be yeah that's that's just tough i mean we're getting to be a position this is something eden and i eden and i have been talking about a lot because Ultimately, I want it to be sort of a, a a group of people that Craig and I back that are representing former. And uh, we've definitely been limited financially. That's where I was like, when I was selling, when I first started running the brand out of my garage and I was like seeing the finances and stuff more hands on and each each package going out, 30 bucks, 30 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it was. And I'm like, how the fuck does Ruka like send rappers out to the North Shore and like pay for all these houses and rentals? This is not. There's something going on here. This is not a, not right. Like, how the fuck can any surf company afford to sponsor people or whatever? That was just like shocking to be hands on and seeing what selling product and creating budgets are like and. Um, but that was a couple of years ago. We're, we're coming around and that's the conversation we've been talking about a lot. And I mean, it's still limited. It's still limited because, um, what, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. Um, it's sort of changing now, but it seems like surf companies like invest huge into like 16 year olds with a potential and then drop them in their early twenties when they're not John, John or Noah. And, um, so I don't really know. I really want, I really want to get like a, a young team going. And Craig and I were talking about, um, like just kids, like what kids we were, we were psyched on in Australia, like last month. And he's like, fuck, I just, I just want to put Hoyo and Aki on. <laughs> he's like i don't know i don't even know any kids that are doing cool stuff i just i and <laughs> then we're laughing about getting in a bidding war over aki with billabong and we're like they probably don't even pay him that much uh, we're like they probably don't pay him that much but if somebody came in to take him they would probably oh my god pay him a lot we should we were like we should get in a bidding <laughs> war just to get aki more money from billabong oh my god that would be my favorite thing in the history of surfing i think so I, I don't really know. That's something that we've been looking into a lot. And it's hard to say because kind of anybody that like doesn't use trap music or Drake on their reels, 
on Instagram is like qualifies as like uh, cool these days. <laughs> In my books, I don't, I don't, not really, but I don't know. That's something we've been talking about a lot. But it's hard to say because I, I don't really see like CT guys representing former, you know, like even though they're the best surfers out there, I'd way rather develop like a crew of guys that um, sort of usher in a new gener a generation of, of like-minded um, surfers that are into what Craig and I are into, which isn't you know what i'm seeing on the wsl and yeah i mean that looks like a very very different vision of surfing that's just like two different driving forces there i think that would even compel somebody to like yeah i hope we can represent represent the opposite of what they're doing and what is that to you what what do you want to represent most like a what is it that you want people to feel and get from your brand um fuck creativity um I'm passionate about surfing. I love surfing and uh, skateboarding and kind of like bridging the gap between the cultural gap there and story storytelling. I think that's important, even though it's mostly like implied story. But I mean, obviously, some people are tuning in like what you said about you feel like you're there um, when you watch my videos, which is that's that's uh, all I really strive for is just for to feel the environment and feel what it's like to be there. And, uh, but I'm also passionate about performance surfing and, and keeping the, uh, carrying the torch for like aerial and power surfing. Well, we're going to have to help Aki a little bit with the airs, but, um, I haven't done a good air in like years, but I still appreciate them. Yeah. Well, I think I said, I think we're going to have to, you know, help Aki out a little bit in that regard, but he's got the power. Oh, help yeah. Aki. Yeah. Well, you don't need to be everything at once. Yeah, he's got the power side covered, so him and like just a crazy air guy. And I'm trying to go to uh, I'm trying to go go to a uh, surf trip where there's left points, and I wanna I wanna uh, get some Aki footage and reverse it, study it. Oh, I like that. I like that. Well, <laughs> I just want to say, yeah, great job in the film again. Uh, it's a wonderful watch. People will be able to watch that on Stab Premium starting this Tuesday for 48 hours and it goes free for everybody. Um, nice work. Go watch it. Go support former. Let's get, uh, let's get Aki on the team. All right. And that is it for this week's episode of the drop. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I can tell you certainly that next week we're going to have some cusp action with Stace Galbraith. He's been on the beach at Manly covering the event and I actually think he's going to be going over to G-Land as well for that event. So we're going to be talking about what happened in the latest Challenger Series event and what is to come in the CT. We're going to have some bet online odds for you guys and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. And until then, over and out.